0: Log Talk
1: Radio. Hey there, everybody. Doctor Ross Green here, coming to you live from Portland, Maine. Uh, For another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child, uh, welcome to the program. We um, invited lots of folks to call in this week if they had things they wanted to talk about. Um, But in the meantime, I think we have Kim with us. Yes, Kim, is that you?
2: Yes. Uh Uh-huh, it's me. And
1: I think we have Jennifer with us. Jennifer, is that you?
2: You do. (laughs)
1: Excellent. And now we have been joined by Stella. Stella, don't talk Good morning. Because there we go. How are you doing?
3: (laughs) Good, sorry. (laughs) Good morning. I'm great. And yourself?
1: I am well. Um, And I hope you all are too. Of course, since our last radio program, and this is not necessarily specifically related to parenting or challenging a child, at least it doesn't seem so. We've seen the President of the United States and many of his advisors uh, contract the COVID-19 virus um, and simultaneously tell us that we should not worry about it. Um, but that's what's going on in the news right now. I'm not sure we need to talk about that today. We do have quite a queue of emails lined up of people who want to get our sage wisdom on issues related to parenting their challenging child. But as we always do, let's start with any comments that any of you might want to make before we get rocking here today. Anything hot on the stove for any of you?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, the one thing I'm thinking a lot about as halloween is approaching and there are um a lot of towns not too far from us canceling halloween and others having it and but you know people have different levels of um concern uh, you know we have different levels of concern from our neighbors and such so i think you know my daughter was having a, a little mini meltdown this morning when we were talking about it so halloween is potentially um since it's right around the corner, going to be a source of some difficulty for some families, depending mm-hmm. on where they're at and how they're feeling about things. Um, but if there's other things in the queue, we don't have
1: to go there. <laughs> no, well, there will be Halloween before we have our next uh, podcast. So Halloween, it seems to me, should be fair game. Um, Heather, Stella, I'm just Heather, Jennifer, Stella, anything... <laughs> Anything hot? Well, also before
0: our next podcast will be the Children's Mental Health Conference.
1: And that has been
0: on the front of my mind because the Facebook On This Day um, app reminded me that two years ago, yesterday and the day before, I was there um, with – Two of the three other people on this call, and uh, it it caused me to break into a rousing rendition of Greg Santucci's song "I'm Alive, Awake, Alert, Enthusiastic," much to the chagrin of the rest of my family. <laughs> but and then kept it that, on, yeah. inspired.
3: It inspired <laughs> me to riff on it, <laughs> and I. I don't ever post anything of myself singing on the B team, but you inspired me. I put, I even put on a fuzzy sweater to be parallel to you. Just
0: <laughs> yes, I think that Stella's singing is much better than mine, though. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I was and very for those enthusiastic. Those
1: you, <laughs> I'm sure you were. For those of you who are not uh, in the loop, lives in the balance sponsors a Children's Mental Health Conference almost every year. This year, it's on October 22nd and 23rd. It is virtual this year. I think we may have our best lineup of speakers ever, although we've had some pretty good lineups in previous years. But I am a big fan of Peter Vermeulen, who's coming to us from, not coming to us in person, but will be coming to us virtually from Belgium. He has just ridiculous insights on children with autism um, and uh, works with what I would call the leading European authorities on autism and um, some very important thinking going on across the pond. Um, We also have Nzinga Harrison, who is going to be talking about racism and mental health. Um, our Director of uh, Equity and Inclusion, Stacy Haynes at Live in the Balance, has heard Nzinga speak and uh, raves about her. I'm looking forward to that. We have Christopher Willard doing a keynote on mindfulness. We have Dana Thomas doing a keynote on teacher self-care. And we have a bunch of breakout groups. I'm doing a few. Um, we're doing a few on infusing collaborative and proactive solutions into positive Behavior Interventions and Supports, something a lot of educators who are implementing PBIS would love to know how to do, and we've got two educators from Wisconsin who are going to enlighten us. Laura Rogers, our colleague from the School Psychology Program at Tufts University, is going to be talking about uh, ethics. Um, So it is really, um, I think it's our best yet. So um, if people want to sign up for that, they can do that on the Lives in the Balance website. And of course... Not too long after that is the Lives in the Balance Annual Summit. It's our 10th anniversary summit. Wow. And our keynote is our board member, Mona Delahook, who has been making some very good waves lately with a lot of her thinking that is actually quite congruent with how we think at Lives in the Balance. So she is the ideal keynote, but we have two keynote speakers. And the other is uh, Dr. Stacey Haynes, who is – once again, our Director of Equity and Inclusion at Lives and Balance, and she will be speaking on um, how to reduce disproportionality in our school discipline through application of collaborative and proactive solutions. Um, and so, that a bunch of breakout groups in the afternoon there for people who are new to collaborative and proactive solutions and old hats. So, registration <laughs> for both of those is on the website. Um, See uh, Jennifer, what happens when you bring those up?
0: Um, <laughs> well, I think and by it's the important way, to mention them. It
1: is <laughs> right, and I'm, I'm not very I'm not very good at plugging things. So it's good that it's good that you are. <laughs> um, but we also decided yesterday that we're going to do our European summit virtually in late January or early February, and that is a uh, summit that is, we've been doing that for a few years in Europe in person, but now it's going to be virtual. Um, And so that's going to be posted on the website again soon, and it's going to include many of our trainers in Denmark and Sweden and Norway. Um, And so that's in the pipeline as well. So a lot going on. (laughs) And
0: if I could add one more thing, Dr. Green, I know that the summit We've talked about on the B-team a lot, and although I'm sad that there won't be a B-team dinner this year, I think that we can probably have a virtual dinner. (laughs) But um, And I'm sad that the Children's Mental Health Conference isn't going to be in the town right next to mine this year. But um, the Mental Health Conference is marketed towards educators and clinicians. But I, I, as I mentioned on the B team, that shouldn't scare parents off. Um, right. it's, it's incredibly valuable for parents as well. I know that, that it's, it was explained to me that in order to be able to give the CEU credits, it had to be presented a certain way, I think. But parents are find a lot. You know, our executive director a know lot. more
1: about that. Yeah. yeah, I think that there's a lot for parents in it. If you have, if you're the parent of a child with autism, um, Peter Vermulen is somebody you really need to hear speak because he explains mm-hmm. autism in a way that anybody who's parenting or teaching a child with autism needs to hear. It just, um, it's, it, it's, he's, he's extraordinary at it. Um, so um, those are in the offing, and those, the summit will happen after our next podcast, but the children's mental health conference is on October 22nd and 23rd, if I'm not mistaken, that's correct. And um, good info for people. Now, I should mention our call-in number, which I haven't called in, which I haven't mentioned yet, 347-994-2981. So if you have any questions uh, for me or uh, Kim or Jennifer or Stella, um, call in, 347-994-2981. In the meantime, shall we begin with emails that have come in over the last month? Sure. Sure. Here we go. One of the problems, this is from a mom. One of the problems I've experienced using CPS is that I get lots of information from my child about how he's feeling. Then I summarize. So this mom is talking about the empathy tip here. But he's not prepared to go beyond that. He's happy to talk about his feelings and experience, but walks away when I talk about my concerns. He gets bored and is not interested in compromise. He feels that he is always right and my opinion doesn't matter. He also forgets about any agreements that we have made together and denies conversations even took place. (laughs) Last night I tried, uh, I can't quite read this, our agreement, but he wouldn't, I tried to something our agreement, but he wouldn't listen and he sent me out of his room to get past this. Any ideas? I suspect I slipped in a plan A somewhere as he wants to stay up till 11.30 on a school night and watch TV up till then. Surely I can implement the rule of no screens past 10 without having to negotiate. Do we have to negotiate everything in caps? And so now we have several different issues that this mom has presented to us. The first is that Plan B seems to go awry after the empathy step. That's issue number one. Issue number two, he forgets about any agreements they have made together and denies that the conversation even took place. Number three, she slipped in a plan A because her expectation is that he not watch screens past 10. Does she have to negotiate everything? So we have three different issues there. And um, who wants to go first to help out this mom?
0: I can go first. Hi. Okay. <laughs> um, first off, how old did she, did she say how old the child is?
1: She did not say how old her son is. Okay.
0: that sounds to me like a kid who has not bought into the process Um, and kid buy-in is really important and I think that kid buy-in doesn't happen until a kid trusts the process and that's where plan c comes in if he's not ready to move past the empathy step it's because he believes that he's going to be in trouble and if the empathy step is followed by slipping in a plan A, then of course he doesn't trust that he's not in trouble because you're following up the plan B conversation with a plan A solution. Um, even, Even younger kids, I think, can understand if you say, I know that things have been really hard. I know that, that our conversations haven't gone very well recently and I know that it's not fun when everyone in the house is mad all the time but I've found a different thing I want to try and I think that it will be better for all of us and then you know a quick explanation of It's not about getting in trouble. It's not about whose fault it is. It's about hearing what you have to say and hearing what I have to say and then finding something that will make it better for everyone. Even a little kid can understand that. Um, And that kid buy-in is hugely important. Plus, it's never a negotiation. Negotiation... And compromise are when two people come to the table with, or more people, with their predetermined solutions and figure out what they're willing to give up and what they insist on having, and at the end of it, nobody's really happy. Collaboration means everybody comes to the table with their concerns and then works together to find a solution that addresses all of those concerns, and if you walk into the conversation with your solution predetermined in your head, then you're undermining
1: your own process So one well put, Jennifer <laughs> one potential possibility is that kid hasn't bought in yet and that's interesting because often we would tell people that a reason the kid hasn't bought in is because his concerns have not yet been heard and he has yet to be convinced that his concerns will be heard or addressed through this process. But what this mom is telling us is that she's telling us that his concerns are being heard I actually had some thoughts about um, what it is that they're talking about because this mom said that she's talking with him about his feelings and experiences. And that's actually not what you're supposed to be talking with kids about in the empathy step of plan B. In the empathy step of plan B, the primary focal point is what's making it hard For the child to meet a particular expectation. And the one specific example that the mom gave us is uh, turning the TV off at 10 p.m. at night. So here's what that would sound like I've noticed you've been having difficulty turning the TV off at 10 p.m. at night. What's up? Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess what puzzles me is first of all, since Kids don't usually buy in because they're not convinced that their concerns are going to be heard or addressed. One place that I would begin troubleshooting is what it is that we're trying to gather information from the kid about. Um, but we could also, but, and then the other part that's troubling me is that mom is doing some plan A. And so the kid may not be convinced that the mom is committed to plan B, another potential theory. And the hint there is that mom is still viewing plan B as negotiating. Plan B is actually not negotiating. Plan B is solving a problem collaboratively. And um, that's different than negotiating. So not only do you not have to negotiate everything, Mom, you actually don't have to negotiate anything, but (laughs) you do have problems that need to be solved. And, of course, the big puzzle still is how come your son is having difficulty moving beyond the empathy step into the other two steps of Plan B. So we've got some theories there. Um, your level of commitment might not be there, Mom. You might be slipping into plan A. You might still be viewing plan B as negotiating, and your son might be perceiving that. Another possibility is that what you're talking to your son about in the empathy step. Oops, you guys just heard the new dog. Um, ah. Can you hear her? <laughs> yes. That's Bella that's <laughs> Bella Green, a new arrival. Um oh, nice. I thought I had her occupied, um, but I think my daughter just got home, and so I think I don't have to occupy <laughs> Bella anymore, which is, like, fantastic. Um, <laughs> Bella, does, Bella does not do Plan B yet, um, <laughs> especially as it relates to our big unsolved problem at the moment with Bella being a puppy. And you know what that is. Bella's having difficulty... Going outside to go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, oh. and, we're quite uh, familiar
0: with that unsolved problem in my house.
1: <laughs> uh, right. Both shares that thing problem. Is, well, we're not having an easy time getting the information out of Bella um, on what's making it hard for her to go outside. Um, so in one respect, at least, we're in the same boat as this mom is who wrote the email. But anyways, um, we've got some hints about why this boy is having difficulty. But the truth is, another rather than theorize, one thing we could do is ask. And we'd turn it into an unsolved problem. And that would be, I've noticed that after I find out what your concerns are about problems we talk about, It's very hard, it's difficult for you to listen to mine. And I'd be very interested to hear what the boy has to say. And that would probably be rather than theorizing. I mean, we want to make sure that mom is asking the right questions and going after the right information in the empathy steps. We want to make sure we have that squared away. We want to make sure that mom is not viewing plan B as negotiating, but rather problem solving. But beyond that, the best source of information on what's making it hard for this boy to listen to mom's concerns in the define adult concern step is the boy. Yeah. Anybody and have I think any on uh, a other thoughts on that?
3: Sorry. Yep, well, I think on a practical level with that conversation, even if it doesn't go beyond hearing the boy's concern, one thing that I started doing mostly because, I needed the reminder. I I would I would write down the the bullet points of our conversation as we were doing it. So I kind of charted it out and I would list um, his concerns and I would start kind of notating some of the ideas that I could bring up as my concerns and then you know to to address the mom issue that the child that doesn't even acknowledge that the conversation took place, then you have it written down and you can come back to the table and say, okay, so when we talked last time, I heard you say this concern and this concern and this concern. I'm ready to talk about my concern now. And you have it right there and then the conversation um,
1: can unfold. Excellent. Now, mom did have one other concern is that And this is the confusing part. Her son is forgetting some solutions. Now, that says to me, and what we do here is we try to read between the lines sometimes, which we don't recommend in the model, but we have no choice but to do when people are emailing us. Mom said he's forgetting solutions. That says to me, it would seem to say to us, that they are sometimes making it all the way through plan B because otherwise there would be no solutions for him to remember. So now I'm a little bit more confused, but any suggestions for mom about solutions that her son is forgetting?
2: Uh, um, yeah, I could pipe in here a little bit. I'm, I'm, well, I'm first concerned that step one's being rushed because she said that she's getting information about feelings and experiences but not about his concern or perspective. And then she talks about doing step two and then she mentions the solution. So it sounds like they're getting all the way through. So I'm wondering if it's being rushed and that the, the, the problem is not being well-defined um, to be able to actually get to a, to a solution that has a 60 to 70% shot of working. And I, the other <laughs> clue for me that it's being rushed is that he's walking away during step two. Um, and so a couple of things go through my head, like either, we haven't really flushed out his concerns in step one, and he's he's you know not getting the picture that we really really want to know, right? Um, and then the other thing is, you know, is she phrasing her concern in step two as an expectation? Like, you know, but you need to turn off the TV at ten would not be the way to phrase that too, right? It's your worry about that. You know, my concern is that, you know, I want you to get enough sleep. So you have the energy for the day tomorrow, right? Something like that. Um, so that's kind of where I was going a little bit. And so if he's forgetting about solutions, were they actually, you know, two sets of concerns that were solved and is the solution addressing both?
0: Um,
2: and his forgetting might be like,
0: his,
2: his saying, you know, even if they did do a really thorough job of the steps, sometimes solutions don't work, and he's saying it's not working, and the way he's saying it is, I'm forgetting, right? And so um, I'd ask him about that, you know, you had difficulty remembering the solution we came up with, and, you know, and I'm also wondering if he he sounds like he has some words, right, but he might not have the words he needs to explain his perspective. So, like, make sure mom has some permission to say, you know, I was wondering if it was because it was hard for you to remember the solution um, and see if he, like, you know, so you don't have to have it all be organic from him, the words, you know. And then I bet she's kind of confused about that because my guess is she reminds him and it still doesn't happen. So it might not be about the forgetting. It might be about something else and making (laughs) space for that, you know.
1: I think those are excellent points. Uh, excellent points for what could really be going on um, between the lines of what the mom is telling us. Please.
0: Um, when we we joke a lot on the B team about Plan A and Plan B clothing, and it's something that. I was guilty of in the beginning and that a lot of other people, you think you're doing plan B, but what you're actually doing is empathetic plan A, but empathetic plan A is still plan A. So if you listen to your kids' concerns, but then you unilaterally impose a solution, that's still plan A. You haven't plan B'd your way to that solution. And because it's not a plan B solution, chances are greater that it's not going to work. Because even if you were empathetic, I know that my son once said to me, you're going to do what you want anyway, so why are you bothering to ask me?
1: Very interesting. Powerful, uh,
0: yeah. That's, you know, so it's important to make sure that you're not doing empathetic plan A in plan B
1: close. There's a lot that can go astray in plan B, even though it feels like we're doing it right. But the bottom line, (laughs) is that if we don't know what's making it hard for the child to meet a particular expectation, we probably didn't do the empathy step. If we haven't let the child know why we think it's important that that expectation be met, how it's affecting the kid, how it's affecting other people, we probably haven't done the define it all concern step. And if we haven't come to a solution that is truly realistic and truly addresses the concerns of both parties, what we call mutually satisfactory, we probably haven't done the invitation very well either. Now, as it relates to, let's say the mom did do all three steps to perfection and the kid is truly forgetting solutions. And, of course, we have expressed skepticism about what that actually means. But let's say he really is forgetting solutions, Uh, the usual answer is to write them down, post them somewhere. Um, And by the way, not only do kids sometimes say they're forgetting the solution because they weren't on board with it in the first place, sometimes they're saying they forgot the solution because it wasn't as realistic and mutually satisfactory as they first thought it was. And it's still not working for them. And we've got to go back and revisit the solution. So here's what's amazing. This was a, an email that was about, you know, six lines. Um, but we certainly have covered quite a bit of territory in terms of what could be going on here for this mom. And mom, if we haven't covered all the possibilities for you or, or helped you out to your satisfaction, call in on the next podcast and we'll try to help you even more. Here's another. Are you ready? (laughs) Yeah. This is from, uh, let's see, this is from, I'm not going to say who, I just want to say whether it's a mom or a dad, but I can't quite see if it's from a mom or a dad. So it's from a parent. Um, You talked about natural consequences. Are you suggesting that as a parent, one should not deliver a consequence at all? Should we just administer this program or should we combine the two? My guess is that the child would lose trust trust in you if you administered a consequence. However, if a child was mistreating things, you would naturally take them away. For example, if a child is using a laptop late at night watching films and disturbing others' sleep, would you take it away then and say we can talk about this tomorrow and figure out how to watch it again? without affecting anybody's sleep. I'd really appreciate some feedback on this. Well, be careful what you ask for because feedback is what you are about to receive. Anybody (laughs) want to tackle that one? Maybe I'll take a crack at that one first. We talk about natural consequences as consequences that are natural, that would occur anyways. And we talk about natural consequences in two ways. First of all, we say that they are very powerful and very persuasive. And secondly, we say that they are inescapable, unavoidable, and inevitable. That's why we call them natural consequences. Now, different people have different definitions for what they mean by natural consequences. Amazingly enough, there are people who use the term natural consequences to actually refer to what we call artificial, unnatural, adult-imposed consequences. So here's some example of natural consequences. If you don't share your toys with Billy, he's not going to want to play with you. If you tease the dog, you're going to get bit. If you don't study for a test, there's an excellent chance you're not going to get a very good grade. Those are natural consequences. They're inescapable, unavoidable, inevitable, and they are very powerful and persuasive. So what I usually talk about is that um, the kids who we often find ourselves applying collaborative and proactive solutions to are the ones for whom the natural consequences really didn't change a thing. The problem, of course, is that when those very powerful, very persuasive natural consequences don't change a thing, what a lot of adults decide they should do next is add more those of what we might call the (laughs) unnatural, artificial, adult-imposed variety. Perhaps including if you don't turn off your laptop, I am going to take it away. But better than that would be um, if you don't um, complete your math homework before you go outside and play, I'm taking away your Xbox for three weeks. Those are adult-imposed consequences. But, of course, here's where life gets interesting. If, and, by the way, adult-imposed consequences are also very powerful and very persuasive. But that's also where you'll lose me. Because if the natural consequences, which are also very powerful and very persuasive, didn't get the job done, why would we think that adding more consequences, those of the unnatural, artificial, adult-imposed variety, would get the job done? We don't. So this mom or dad has a problem that needs to be solved, sure and simple. Um, Difficulty... um, watching films at night, quietly. Apparently the issue is that the film watching is disturbing others. I don't get the impression, of course, now we're reading between the lines. I don't get the impression that the child is forbidden from watching uh, films late at night. Nothing about that in the email. I get the impression that the issue is that the child is disturbing other people's sleep and so what we're looking for the kid to do is watch those films quietly now if the child is also not permitted to watch uh, films on the laptop past a certain time then that would be a separate unsolved problem but here's I think the key for me I'm going to bet the house this is a chronic unsolved problem This this is not a one timer This is not a one-off. This happens more than once. And therefore, we should not find ourselves dealing with this unsolved problem in the heat of the moment. That's when consequences of the natural or unnatural variety start to make lots of sense to us adults when we're stuck in the heat of the moment yet again on an unsolved problem that's been going on for quite some time so, my take on this email, and I'd love to hear yours, is I don't, doesn't sound to me like consequences are likely to get the job done, but it does sound like this mom or dad simply has a problem that has yet to be solved, and that the ideal timing and solving it is not right when it's happening yet again. That's my take. What do you all think?
3: <laughs> I completely agree. I, it just, it's, It's so easy to set aside an unsolved problem like that and only refer to it when it's happening, you know, and it's it's just a great reminder to jot it down for yourself, schedule a time with your child, talk about it, and start addressing it bit by bit because That heat of the moment stuff is, it's really, really tempting to just start drawing the lines in the sand, especially late at night after a long day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can I share a story with you guys? Of (laughs) course. (laughs) I was in line at Walgreens a couple years ago, and I had stopped to pick something up for my son, who was probably about 14, 15 at the time. And uh, <laughs> he, I was bringing him home food, and he texted me to ask me if I was almost home, and I texted him back, and I said, yes, I just stopped at Walgreens to get something. And he texted me and said, oh, good, because I'm hungry AF Now I'm going to assume to both that you all know what AF stands for and I burst Friday? out laughing <laughs> Yes exactly <laughs> or or as something um, yes, and I burst out that. laughing we had it. and and the the clerk looked over my shoulder to see what I was laughing at and she read the message, and she said to me, well, what's the consequence of that going to be for, for your child? Because she was upset that he had told me he was hungry AF. Now, I didn't have an expectation that he not say that to me, so mm. it didn't bother mm-hmm. me. I thought it was funny. And I said to her, well, I'm gonna feed him. He's hungry AF <laughs> <laughs> She gave me a very dirty look, put my stuff in a <laughs> bag, and ushered me out the door <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it consequences I think we get a lot of pressure to to but give consequences. And I tell people now you know, yes, there will be a consequence to that. The consequence is that we're going to sit down and talk about it and figure out how to make it better for everyone.
1: Well, and a lot of people have what I call consequences on the brain. The minute anything is going on that is not in keeping with their expectations, their immediate thought is consequences. And in this model our immediate thought is um what problem needs to be solved here and when are we going to solve it um proactively um so clearly that other person had an expectation i think that one of the keys is you said that you didn't have a problem with your son saying hungry after friday um but apparently <laughs> somebody else did Um, Mm -hmm. And that just says that you have different expectations, and that's fine, Um, but thinking that consequences are going to solve problems is where we go awry so often. I want to see if we can squeeze in, because we only have four or five minutes left here, one more um, to help out uh, this um, dad, I think. Hi there. I'm wondering if I should share the philosophy and approach with my son as we work through this. He's 16 and very bright. Just not sure if this would make it more or less effective if he knows that I'm working with a process outlined in a book. Um, Stella, you have a son who is in that age range, at least one of them. How did you play it with uh, your son?
3: Well, I... I used it as an opportunity to um, intro- to learn how to do a Plan B conversation. Um, I just put the book right out on the table and showed him um, showed him some of the scenarios that are that appear in the book in italics. And I, I remember him reading the um, is it the waffle incident right at the very beginning, um, mm-hmm. and he he kind of read it and he looked at me and said, mom, this sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and then we talked about plan A, plan B and plan C. And um, I I wrote it out for him and just explained it. I let him see the the diagram of the conversation and, you know, um, and we worked on it. Uh, And to the point where when he and his brother sat down to have their first plan B that I would kind of mediate Um, you know it was very clear that my son understood all of the steps and uh, had the basic structure of it and and then Jennifer just as you were saying before you know he would call me out and say mom you're doing plan A and plan B's clothing and you know, and uh, it it kind of worked <laughs> against me for a yeah. while there because he knew it so well. He would call me out on my plan A. So, yeah, but I I was transparent from the very beginning, and then especially when Stretchmore, The Adventures of Stretchmore came out, um, that that book was particularly helpful in helping him to understand what the conversation
1: was for. Good.
0: Absolutely. I,
1: I think it's good that that's what worked for you. I think that if in the judgment of a parent or teacher, they think a kid is going to be less willing to participate in the process because they feel that it's somehow artificial because it's coming out of a book, then that would be something to be mindful of. Generally speaking, if we think a kid is, going to understand what we're doing. And bottom line is eventually they're going to understand what we're doing anyways. And Stella, as you're saying, there is some decent chance that they're going to get better at it than we are as we go along. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, the big judgment is should I explain this formally ahead of time or should I just let it roll out informally and he's going to get it as time goes on. Judgment call, but um, I wouldn't worry about explaining it too much especially to a bright 16 year old unless we feel that he's going to somehow view that negatively. Right. Any other thoughts on that before we have to end for today?
2: I think I think uh I was hit on the head. I'm a big fan of transparency too. Um I could see that it could backfire but for the most part um that has not been my
0: experience. Mm. Mine either. It certainly helped us.
1: I On think with a sixteen note, year old but, Oh go
0: ahead. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: And knowing That's knowing that time. your
0: concerns are gonna be heard is huge. Right. Right.
3: Yeah. The the course, skill here is know, growing up. Yeah. The the skill is growing up learning how to collaborate with others when things get tough.
1: And sixteen is a great only, age. Here's the only caveat. If you explain it and then you don't do it, mm-hmm. that, well, then it is going oh, to gonna in your Oh, you're going to get
0: called on it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Big time.
1: laughs>
0: on that note,
1: we are done with Sage Wisdom for the day. Thank you all once again. We'll be back next month. Take care, all. Bye. Bye.